Alright everybody, welcome on back to episode number two of Baseball History 101. I'm Patrick DeVault, I'm here with Matthew Carter. And um, today for our topic we're going to talk about the history of the rule changes in the game of baseball. I think we're going to start with rounders and work our way up to the modern changes that everybody's seeing affect them now. Um, I think a good spot for us to start off would be Matthew to start us off with the game of rounders. Yes, so the game of rounders originated in England and many baseball historians believe that baseball evolved from rounders. The first mention of the earliest reference of rounders was in 1744 in something called a pretty little pocketbook, a little book, I, I, guess it's a, I guess some sort of story. And it referred, it referred to the game actually as baseball in the book. And then it wasn't really called Rounders until the author Jane Austen mentioned it in her book Northanger Abbey in the, in the 1800s. And then Rounders remains primarily a sport for school bo for boys and girls today, but it also attracts an active club following as well in England. And today, rounders in its different forms is a very popular sport. Uh, <clears throat> I'm saying right here that in 2015, seven million kids in the UK played that as a youth sport. Yes, so it is still going on today as a popular sport in England. So, right on to that. Now, for some of the rules, games obviously are played between two teams, just like baseball. And the players are, you know, the teams are made up of somewhere between 6 and 15 players. Now, I'm getting this from collegesportsscholarships.com. I tried to find something other than Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is fine, you know. Uh, so, the pitchers are known as bowlers in, for, in rounders. And bowlers have to bowl under arm at a height that is between the head and the knee of the batter. And without letting the ball bounce, go wide or go straight at the bowler. So obviously you got to pitch it in the the strike zone, the rounders version of the strike zone. It's got definite slow pitch softball vibes. Yeah, something like that. You know, you're not expecting a, a, a fast ball from Nolan Ryan in this game. <laughs> a rounder scored, I guess a rounder would be the runner. A rounder scored when the fourth post is reached before another ball is bowled, or if the fourth post is reached on a no ball. Well, we gotta explain what rounders are and posts are because. <laughs> so, from what I've read, reading here, um, it's pretty much baseball, except they just don't have bases. It's, you gotta get to the spot and go. It's kind of like backyard wiffle ball. Yeah. And then a half-rounder is scored if the fourth post is reached without hitting the ball. The second post is reached after hitting the ball. There is obstruction by a fielder or there are two consecutive no balls. This is, just, this is really fascinating. Yeah. The most common way to be out is when you are caught by a fielder you are stumped at a, at a post before reaching it, or if you run inside the post. When at a post, you must remain in contact with that post. 
So I guess post would be the basics. Yeah, so I guess I don't get to lose the officer playing Little League ball. Right, yeah. You know, so. And then when the bowler has the ball in his square, it, if the bowler has the ball in his square, which would be the rounders version of the mound, you cannot run between the posts. So you can't steal, you can't go, you can't do anything. You gotta stay where you're at. You cannot have more than one batter at each post. Kind of like you know, can't have a runner on base. You know, what you know, multiple runners on a base. Two guys the same base, lead runners out. Yep. And you must touch the fourth post on getting home, which would be, I guess, in the rounders equivalent home base. Do you have anything else to add, Patrick? I think from looking over rounders, it's really cool since it's still played. I didn't realize it was still played until the last couple of days looking stuff up. Yeah. Um, in Ireland, the Gaelic Athletic Association puts the rules out. And it's like a national organization of rounders. And I didn't even realize that that even existed, was ever a thing. I just thought everybody played baseball. Right. And I, that's probably a little bit of American privilege. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Um, I mean, we invented the game. Come on, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's our pastime, not yours. It's yeah, but still, that is very unique. That this, you know, nineteen, you know, seventeenth, well, sixth, eighteenth, and nineteenth century game continues today, and is probably the you can call it like a grandfather of baseball, or at least a predecessor to baseball. You know, mm -hmm. would, would you be great? Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and their ball's the same size as ours, so baseball's nine inches in circumference. Mm -hmm. Theirs has to be between 8.9 and 10, so they're not uniform, because they're, at that point in time, obviously handmade. Yeah. Um, and I like how each entitler is entitled, each batter is entitled to what they call uh, three good balls. Mm -hmm. Strikes. And um, I haven't seen how many balls they got or what they were called. Um, But it, it even says in what I've read, if a ball is struck that would otherwise be considered quote unquote bad, the ball is then considered to be good. So foul ball. Foul ball, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's really cool how that started and it's evolved and just general rules like on a third good ball, if he doesn't hit the ball and the catcher drops it, he gets to run, you know, even small things like that. Um, penalties for defensive interference or a thing. Um, from what I've read, they compare it more to softball than baseball. Probably with the underhand throwing of the and all of that, yeah. Um, the big difference, according to the GAA version, which is how the Irish play it, is the size of the bats and the size of the balls from softball. Otherwise, it's pretty much softball. Yeah. And I guess that leads us into the mid to late 1800s yep. when baseball became a thing. Yes. Now, let's make one thing clear. Um, Admiral Doubleday did not invent the game of baseball. That was a myth and yeah, that was perpetuated by Albert Goodwill Spaulding, Mr. Spaulding Sporting Goods himself, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And he did not, Cartwright did not, no, I'm sorry, Doubleday did not invent baseball. Great American hero of the Civil War, but not did not invent baseball. So, 
Then yeah. why is Doubleday Field right next to Cooperstown? Because the myth is, well, the myth is that Doubleday invented baseball in Cooperstown, New York, in 1839. Like he was staying, like supposedly the story goes he was stationed there, or he was there for like as a teenager or something like that. And so, you know, and they, the best like, oh hey, you know, he he was bored being stationed here, and he's got to find something to do. So we we just made up this game, and we, they called it baseball. You know, that was the myth. It wasn't true, but in the early 1900s, people forgot who invented baseball. So Spalding set out a nationwide search to find out who invented baseball to be sure that this was an American-made sport. And then, so I'm assuming they found out that rounders is where it originated. Yeah, they found out rounders originated, but you know, they got Spalding got some letter from some old guy that basically said, "Hey, you know, Doubleday invented this in Cooperstown, New York, in 1839." And Spalding, and that was just good enough for Spalding. He's like, "Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's that that's it, it's proof that's American made, you know." It's an American-made sport. It happened in Cooperstown, and that's why you have the Baseball Hall of Fame and Double A Field at Cooperstown, New York. But now, if you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, they'll tell you, like, if you ask somebody at the Baseball Hall of Fame point blank who invented baseball, they will tell you, "We don't know. We don't really know." But rest assured, I I think most people, you know, if you do the research, most people will agree that Alexander Cartwright invented baseball. He had the rules, you know, he set it up in 1845, he, he wrote down the rules, which we're going to discuss, and the first baseball game was played in 1846 in Hoboken, New Jersey, because they couldn't play it in New York City, because I think either the city or state has some kind of rule about playing in the city, like playing any activity in the city. I'll have to double check on this, but it was like... It's like a noise thing, or just you're not allowed to have fun? I think it was more, probably... Probably a combination of both. I mean, this is like the 1840s. What, you know, Victorian area, Victorian era in England, it's, you know, pretty state and conservative, I guess. So they's like, all right, we'll go across the river, we'll go play in Hoboken, New Jersey. And they played the first game, the Cartwright's team, the Knickerbockers. Yes, uh, which was a question I was about to ask you going forward, the Knickerbocker rules. Yeah. Which um, was William William Wheaton, William Tucker of the Knickerbocker Baseball Club yeah. in um, 1845. And so, now we're getting this from Baseball Almanac. BaseballAlmanac.com has graciously printed the, published the uh, Knickerbocker rules. Yeah, I'm looking at them on Wikipedia right now as yeah. you speak also. And they were, you know, they were adapted on September 23rd, 1845. And like I said, there were 20 rules adopted that day that would, you know, be the groundwork for baseball. Now let's go. We go over, you know, all 20 of them because they're just so fascinating. And then you, it gives you a picture of what baseball was like in the 1800s, at least at the beginning. So rule number one: members. And what do you mean members? It means players. Members must strictly observe the time agreed upon for exercise and be punctual in their attendance. 
So you better, you know, you better be there on time. You better. If you're be late, it's on you. Right. Yeah. You we be, deal with that in our men's league every week. Hey, man, we got 18 guys on the roster. Can we get nine here? Right. Yeah. No. You better. You you better agree to a time. You better be there when said. Number two. When assembled for exercise, the president, which I guess would be the manager. Yeah, president of the team, yeah, yeah. manager. Or of his absence, the vice president, which I guess would be assistant coach, or, you know, bench bench coach. Probably know. bench coach, why we do it today. Yeah. Because the manager gets kicked, and then Bobby Cox gets kicked out, and then you got, uh, what was the name? Leo Mazzoni? Mazzoni stepping in, yeah. Yeah. And so when when symbol for exercise, the president of his of in his absence, the vice president shall appoint an umpire who shall keep the game in a book provided for that purpose, and note all violations of the bylaws and rules during the time of exercise. So that's interesting. Like <laughs> you picked the umpire. You know there was no leagues then. You know the league didn't. You know, nowadays, like, the league has umpires, and they send the umpires to the, to the game. They travel and cruise, they're together all year. Right, yeah, this that, this didn't happen in the 1800s. Like, I guess the home team picked the umpire, which, you know, I'm sure the visiting team did not care for. <laughs> I have to say so. A little hometown cooking the books going yeah. on there. You can't have, you know, nowadays you can't have that. But back then, this, this is wide open, man. This is the beginning of baseball. Rule number three, the presiding officer shall designate two members as captains who shall retire and make the match to be played, observing at the same time that the players opposite to each other should be as nearly equal as possible, the choice of sides to be then tossed for, and the first in hand to be decided in like manner. So I guess, you know, both teams pick the captains, and they gotta go out and figure out who's gonna be the home team and the visitor. That's what I got from that rule. Like I guess you can that's what I'm tracking from it. The best is like a coin toss or paper rock scissors or or you know the, the hands on the bat to get to the end of the bat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I figure out who got to hit next to MVP back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't think of the name of it, so I was just like, yeah, just do that. Totem pole or something, probably. I don't know. Yeah, we all know what it is. Yeah. Number four. The bases shall be from home to second base, between home and second base, 42 paces, and then from first base to third base, 42 paces, equidistant. So, so it's a square. It's a square. Doesn't matter whose feet we use. Yeah. You're going this way, and then you're going this way, and it should be meeting the middle. Yeah. There was no diamond in that per se. Well, it's not like it is now where it's 127 and a half feet. I, don't quote me on that, but I think that's the number between the front of home plate and the front of second base. Yeah. You know, and so we got what we got. We're probably playing a random cornfield somewhere. Or not cornfield, like cow pasture. <laughs> cow pasture, yeah. There was no. We're just no going to walk it off. Who grows corn in New Jersey? There's no corn. Anyway. We reserve that for Iowa. Iowa, yeah. <laughs> rule, rule number five No stump match shall be played on a regular day of exercise. So I guess if it's a big. From what I gather from this rule, if it's a big game, like I guess you know, like with the rubber match, the rubber match. If it's like an actual counting for league uh, standings match, you shouldn't. You know, it's not going to be played on a day where you're just practicing. I guess. 
what do you get from that? That's just, you know, I, you, would you agree with that or do you think it'd be something different? I don't know. It's hard to interpret um, without, like, being there and watching it happen. Right. Um, you know, like, that day could be like, hey, we just don't play on Sundays. Or it could be... Because a lot of places, you know, a lot of states and cities didn't, you know, outlaw anything other than church on Sundays. You know, that's why it took, like, Pennsylvania until, like, 1934 to play, like, for the A's and the Phillies and the Pirates to play games on Sundays in Philadelphia. I ended up in Pennsylvania, you know. So, you got those blue laws, man. <laughs> that's the thing everywhere, especially in the South to this day. Yeah. Mainly with alcohol, but... Yeah. You can still play baseball on Sunday, but yeah. as long as you're not drinking, as long as you're not buying alcohol on Sunday, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, rule number six: If there should be not a sufficient number of members of the club present at the time agreed upon to commence exercise, gentlemen not members may be chosen in to make up the match, which shall not be broken up to take in members that may appear afterwards. May afterwards appear. But in all cases, members shall have the preference when present at the match of the make at the making of the match. So if your guys don't show up, then you you know you're feel free to choose anybody there who is not a member of your club. Just from random Joe Schmo. That's my that's my American dream. Peter Braves game. Oh man, we need a reliever. Yeah. That guy in the stands, section three twenty two seat, row seventeen seat B. That guy, he was like, you yeah. know. And of course, back in the days when Patrick and I played Babe Ruth ball, you know, if if we're if two teams are playing and one team doesn't have at least nine players on the team, you know, the other team if they had extras, they'll let you know they would let the other team borrow one of the players. Like I did that at least once, you know. As long as you had seven. As long as you had, yeah, at least. We'll loan you a couple outfitters. Right. You know. Exactly. I mean, just. Just, you know, something that I remember from playing Babe Ruth ball back in the day. Shoot, playing men's league this summer, we've had to do it a couple times. Right, I mean, this is tough if they were having a schedule to get there. Yeah, you know, maybe I should show up to one of your men's games. And if you run out of people, hey, we need somebody. Oh, look, there's Matthew Carter. Hey, we're playing tomorrow tomorrow at James Clemens. There you go. Go out to to James Clemens and Madison. We in the playoffs, baby. Oh, that's awesome. But anyway... Before we get off subject, back to rule, uh, rule number seven. If members appear after the game is commenced, they may be chosen in if mutually agreed upon. So if they show up late and both teams are like, okay, you can you can get your guy in here, then they can do that. But if the opposing team's like, no, you can't do that. So 2006, Albert Pujol shows up, but he missed his, he missed his train and he's a little late. Nah, dude, we're not letting you play. <laughs> like, I like that rule. I kind of like that. Yeah. If you're late, but you're too good. Right. If you play, you know you're a scrub. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless unless both teams want to make it real. Like, if, let's say the game is like, you know. I'm sure there was some gamesmanship and some sportsmanship going on. And if the game's out already out of hand, and you know your player shows up, and there's no way that your team's gonna win. I'm sure the opposing team's like, fine, you, you, you know, you can play, but... Yeah, you, can't hit, you can't hit a 17-run home run, we're set. Right, you know. Come on, man. <laughs> Grand Slam's the best thing you can do. Rule number eight. Well, this rule, is the one I like. Rule number eight. Because this one really sets up for what baseball has become. 
with the because um, rule number eight is you have 21 counts or aces as they call them yeah so basically like hell um runs bats hands and it determines the length of the game yeah so it kind of put a standard up you have which I'm assuming this is seven innings because they did say something about three outs earlier, correct? Mm-hmm. So we're playing seven in a ball game. So this is what really established, like, here's how long this game goes. Yeah. Um, so this is, and this is, I agree, this is a good one compared to at least today's games. Uh, rule number eight the game to consist of 21 counts or aces, but at the conclusion, an equal number of hands must be played. So basically, when they're saying counts or aces, they're referring to uh, that's their runs. runs. Yeah. yeah, you play the twenty-one runs. You could win in the first inning. Right. The game could be over in the first inning if you as long as you get twenty-one runs, and you know, and both teams have their equal number of opportunities. As long as you get twenty-one, and both teams get their three outs and you know you're good to go you can win the game in the first inning I do have a side note on this one the standard rule of nine innings or sides as they called them at a certain point um, that became a thing in 1857 yeah to follow up on that but I really like like dude if I score 21 in the first like let's get out of here right you know I mean let's like, go home let's go watch Netflix let's go let's go to the bar have a cocktail you know let's, people people complain today about baseball being too long you, know, you play it back in 1846, and it's not, it won't be long if you get 21 runs in like a matter of 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, but these other rule changes we're about to get into, you ain't getting 21. No. Hardly ever. Very rarely. So rule number nine, the ball must be pitched, not thrown, for the bat. So I interpreted this as it has to be pitched like a like underhand, kind of horseshoe style. Yeah, because we're still doing, I mean, like they're still doing underhand. I mean, we're not mm-hmm. going overhand. Yet. Yeah, they weren't. Um, it was slow and gradual from what I read that slowly they went from underhand a little more sidearm, sidearm kind of submarine, and then gradually up into overhand. And from what I understand, it was, shoot, 30 years. And then I think it was 1884 is when they started allowing you to pitch overhanded. Nice. I'm telling you, man, the rules, the rules have changed so much. Anyway, rule number 10. A ball not out of the field or outside the range of the first and third base is foul. Okay, I mean, that's... Foul ball. Standard. Foul ball. I mean, that's basically what you have today. I mean, that's that rule hasn't really changed. If, if it did at all. That rule stays the same. Rule number 11. Three balls being struck at and missed... And the last one caught is a handout. If not caught, it's considered fair, and the striker is bound to run. So drop third strike. Still yeah. standard in baseball. Yep. Yeah. I mean that's something that's lasted all these years, all these many years. Rule number twelve: If a ball be struck or tipped and caught, either flying or on the first bound, it is a handout. So you can't, you know, you tip, you foul ball. If you tip it and the catcher catches it, you're out. But when it means on the first bat, oh, sorry, go oh, okay. If it means on the first bat, they're basically saying if it if it's a one hopper, like if you know if the guy hits a 
the line drive and it bounces in front of the fielder and the fielder catches it, that's an out. Can you imagine how many, can you imagine if they if that rules affect what Pete Rose is playing? Oh, my big thing, my big thing about this rule is why I had my hand in there and you asked me what I had, yeah. um, is what happens if I'm just batting, it's a 0-0 count and I foul tip ball catch catches it. You know, like today, that would greatly affect a game. Because sure. you watch a major league baseball game, how many times do you see the umpire with his hands go? Bounce it, you know. Many times throughout the game. Like that would that would greatly impact damn near every baseball game. Yeah. So rule number thirteen: a player running the bases shall be out if the ball is in the hands of an adversary on the base. Or the runner is touched with it before he makes his base. It being understood, however, that in no instance is a ball to be thrown at him. Because before these rules, you were able to peg out like a wiffle ball. Yeah. So I'm glad that you don't throw somebody. You don't throw at somebody to get it out. Yeah. And that's I mean that's true today. That's still true today. You know. Yeah. You got to have it in your hand or in your glove. Right. Number fourteen. A player running who shall prevent an adversary from catching or getting the ball before making a base is a handout. If you interfere, you're going to get out. Do not mm-hmm. interfere with the, the play. And we'll cover later where that kind of flips roles where you can't interfere with the runner. Yeah. So I think that was in the early 1900s. Yeah. Rule number 15. Three hands out, all out. Three, you get three outs and the inning is over. Is it? Yeah. Pretty standard. Pretty standard. That's still true today. Rule number 16. Players must take their strike in regular turn. That's another ancient rule that fucking we follow. If I'm number nine, about to head number eight. Yeah. We're out of here. Right. You know, do not, do not bat out of place. Don't be like Mickey Callaway and like you know, mess that up. <laughs> uh, anyway, rule number 17. All disputes and differences relative to the game to be decided by the umpire from which there is no appeal. So, you know, umpires make the call. You know? Still to this day, at least now, you can... Man, that guy missed second base and you ask your homie for some help. Yeah. But back then, he said it. That's it. And there's no instant replay in 1846. That ain't happening. Yeah, I don't think it should be. <laughs> I don't think there should be now, but that's a different conversation for a different day altogether. Right, this is not, not the time for that. Anyway, number 18. No ace or base can be made on a foul strike. You can't score if, if the guy hits a foul. Can't do it. If you want to get on base, hit the ball. Hit the ball, hit it fair. Do not hit a foul. Rule number 19, a runner can be put out in making one base when a balk is made on the pitcher. See, this is interesting because what I read, they didn't really very clearly describe a balk from what I saw. Yeah. Which is a thing today. We had a walk-off a couple weeks ago and a walk-off balk. Like, those, those happened. <laughs> And the pitchers probably don't even realize they balk it until the umpire calls it. You know, it's just something you don't... You know, if I'm a pitcher out there, I don't think about it. I'm like, okay, 
So that, that's 19, right? That's number 19. 19 and then 20. The last one, number 20. But one base allowed when a ball bounced out of the field when struck. Yeah, so the first, second baseman throws it out of the first one hit in the stands, you get a sack, yeah. right? Those are two rules that really stuck with me out of reading those rules mm -hmm. of like the things that really translated in that could make a difference in a baseball game. Yes. Um, it just, a lot of the other ones are standard and we see them every day watching ball on TV, watching the Bravos, the Cardinals, the Pirates, whoever you want to watch, you yeah. know, and, but that, those two and then the, um, three outs per half inning and like foul balls it's amazing how in the game has not changed very much since they made these rules in 1845 yeah it's just it's mind blowing just reading these rules and thinking wow that's still that's still that still exists today that's still relevant today you know and that kind of lines up with my opinion that baseball is the most perfect game with the most perfect dimensions and the most perfect scorekeeping and the most perfect everything which, you know, I'm biased, but... No, yeah, but I, I agree with that, too, and I'm biased as well. I like other sports, but baseball's just so unique, and it it's just it's hard to top that. It gets me going, man. It really does. Baseball is where it's at. All right. So then in 1877, the Knickerbocker rules became the National League rules. Yep, and that was a year after the... That was that was a year after the National League was founded, nineteen seventy six. So they they did they did things like making the bases uniform, home plate in an angle where it was a perfect square on in the infield. Um, here's a weird one that stuck out to me. If you got walked, you were exempt from your next at bat. So you didn't bat. Or it says exempted from a time at bat if you walked. So does that mean like you could stay at home plate and go to first? Or does that mean that you don't get to bat next time? To me, that sounds like you don't get to bat next time. But that doesn't make any sense. No. So, it had to be exempt from their bat would have to be... You just went to first and didn't have to hit the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, that would be... That makes more sense than just skipping your turn at bat. <laughs> I mean, that's just... Yeah. And then... So, we go to 1879... And I guess this, this is really called about the rules. It just says that the reserve clause, the infamous reserve clause, was uh, for the first time put into a contract. Okay. Yeah. So. And also in 1979, the number of called balls became nine, and all balls were either strikes, balls, or fouls. Does that mean after nine pitches, you were just next, you're out? Yeah, because at least if, if it wasn't 1879, it was somewhere around there. If you hit a, if your if your third strike, if you hit a foul ball, if you had two strikes on you and you hit a foul ball, whether they caught or not, that counted as actually that counted as strike three. And like that, you know, you're like, okay, you're out, next batter. And so there, that's another way to shorten the game. <laughs> you know, you don't have all these people fouling off all these balls. Uh, and then. In 1879, the a staff of umpires which was reduced. So, so the four-man crew. Right, yeah. Or probably three-man crew at that time. Yeah, more than one umpire. There's one I had a question about in 1879, was the pitcher had to face a batsman before pitching him. So, like, you go up and shake his hand, or are we... That sounds about... I mean, that I had to do more research on that, but that sounds... It sounds similar to that, or maybe he's just... I guess... 
watching him swing. I don't know. Maybe it, I had to look more on that. Maybe shake his hand, but that just sounds it's too much. That sounds too much, especially if you're trying to try to imagine a pitcher doing that today. Pitchers imagine that today. Well, that's that, just ludicrous, you know. It, it's got to have somebody who probably addresses him on the rubber then. Like, yeah, I'm facing you, as opposed to being all willy nilly up on the mound. Because right. before that, you were throwing underhand and behind your back, however you wanted, I guess, yeah. you know. But now you're being serious. Now you're like, all right, we got to do a little, do a little intimidation stare down. And then it progresses quick in 1880 with some rules we still follow. Um, a walk was reduced to eight calls ball, eight called balls. <laughs> so if you couldn't strike me out, so okay, that makes that makes the nine balls make sense. If you can't strike me out in nine, I get on base. And now it's if you can't strike me out in eight. So they basically there are no seventeen pitch at bats. Yeah, and. Um, some rules that still stand, 1880, you know, before even the modern era, base runner is out if hit by a batted ball, like, yeah, that's still a thing. Yeah, still a thing, still a little strong. Then they also need to maybe, the catcher had to catch the pitch on the fly in order to register an out on a third strike. Still stand strong, otherwise you throw him out at first, it's a 2-1 put out, or, or a 2-3 put out. Yeah. Eighteen eighty three we come back and the foul bound catch, which I'm assuming like a foul pop up or something. That'd be my guess. Um, was abolished and the pitcher could deliver a ball from above his waist. So in eighteen eighty three we started throwing overhand like we do now. Yeah. And um all and also another rule in eighteen eighty four that followed up were all restrictions on deliver delivery by a pitcher were removed. And then they dialed it back down to six called balls. Became a walk. So we're slowly easing into what we know as baseball. So I'll, I'll be I'll be quick about this. So when we're getting into the 1880s and we're throwing we're starting to throw overhand, and pitchers are pitching like ungodly amounts of games and winning ungodly amounts of games. Like in 1884, Hall of Famer Old Hoss Radburn won like 59 games, and kind of a side note, you know, when you're pitching overhand, now you're experiencing some arm trouble, like you're experiencing pain that you didn't really have throwing underhand. And one of my latest shortstop articles was this event, this invention that this guy made in 1892 called the baseball apparatus where... I think we talked about it last time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. It's the weirdest thing. You you know, I, I can look at the article later, but you can look it up too. It's... The, the article is called Patently Amazing. It's on the Hall of Fame's website. But, like, it's called Baseball Apparatus, and it's... He he invented this thing. It's like this little strap thing that you wear, kind of like a harness sort of thing. And he only made this for right-handed throwers. So, like, if you're left-handed, it's not going to help you. It specifically says in the patent, this is for right-handed, you know, right for the right arm. And, like, it, it's supposed to relieve tension... As you're throwing it to like relax the like relax muscles or expand the muscles and relieve tension and help you help your muscles grow to where you can like take on the strain of throwing all that all that much overhand and better like better like prepare for that than when you than when you would have uh, not when you it would have prepared I'm sorry it would prepare your arm better than when you're throwing like to get used to the strain of throwing. Overhand, all it's like so tension. Yeah, the tension. That's why I would say the tension. 
you know, so I just wanted to throw that side note because I just, you know, we're getting into, you know, back in 92, they're thinking about arm injuries. But of course, as far as I know, nobody ever used it. As far as I know, like, I've seen, not, I've not seen any documentation of anybody, like any professional player or anybody's used the, the uh, baseball apparatus. But I'd almost like to recreate it and just see what it does. Dude, that, I mean, I'm the same way, man. I was like, we gotta... We it, gotta it couldn't be much more than like some surgical tubing and... Yeah, like we gotta... We just, we, like a belt. <laughs> yeah, we can just use the patent and figure it out. I mean, it'd be great. Just, just to see what it does. Or just get like, uh, oh, what's that show? Uh, modern, not Modern Science, but like the Jamie and Oh, what's that show? Oh, I can't think of it. Yeah, I forget. I forget the show. I forgot it. Anyway, so let's go. Let's go back to the rules. <laughs> I really like in 1885 that they like. Here's the materials you were allowed to make home plate out of: either marble or white rubber. Could you imagine coming through and steel spikes and stepping on a marble home plate and just? Oh, skirting, skirting across it. That's just a, that's a late injury. ACL waiting, waiting to happen. Um, and then 1887, four called strikes for a strikeout. Okay. And five balls for a walk. So we're learning how to pitch here. Yeah. We're, we're starting to be have some guys that can throw some strikes. We're getting there. <laughs> um, and also in 1887, you were awarded first base when hit by pitch. Good. Yeah. And then that marble we were talking about, same year, eighteen eighty-seven. It was still it was still a square piece of marble, but they made, they uh, said you have to be rubber only. Yeah. Cool. And it's also the first time a coach was ever acknowledged by the organization. That's good. You know, I mean, you're making progress. We're slowly making progress as we go on through the years to get to what we know as the modern game of baseball. Yeah. We're about ten years off from it becoming the modern era where. Really gets unified. Yeah, especially with the formation of the American League. Let's see. Oh, in eighteen nine, the sacrifice bunt was statistically recognized. That's also the year that four balls became a walk. There we go. Eighteen nine, great year. And then um, eighteen ninety one, two years later, they allowed catchers to use catcher's mitts. Before that, they were just like out here with regular fielders' gloves, a little. Yeah, well, other mitts, and I've read, you know? and I've read like story. I, mean, I, I feel like I've read stories in the past where old timey catchers felt like if you caught with a mitt, they would you'd, you'd be weak. You would be considered weak because you're not a real man because you don't catch with both your hands. But like, dude, you try to catch those, especially now if you're throwing overhanded. You try to catch those balls barehanded. It's gonna hurt. You're gonna have blisters and calluses, all this crap all over your hand. It's bad, you know. So it's just good to have the, finally we got the catcher's mitt. You can call me a five-letter P-word all you want. I prefer to have the mitt. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. They're not throwing 95, 100 like we are now, but still. Yeah. Um, and then in, what, 1893? Pitching the, distance. Oh, I'm sorry. The pitchiness and see exactly what I was going at. Yeah. They used to throw from 50 feet, which I get it. They don't throw as hard as we do now, but they found what we have landed on. Yeah. Well, until what they're trying to do this year with triple A ball. Uh, or no, single A ball. And move the mound back a little bit. But I saw 60 that, yeah. foot, 6 inches. Man, I tell you, Tom Seaver, 
rest in peace. Yeah, that, that man, like, at the Hall of Fame, they showed this video where you go into the Hall of Fame uh, theater, and Tom Seaver is talking about how much he loves 60 feet and 6 inches. That dude was a pitcher, and he just, he all he did was just talk, who had the video, just talk about 60 feet 6 inches. Then when he died, one of my, uh, um, former, my, one of my fellow actors said, that man loved 60 feet, 6 inches more than anybody. And I thought, well said. <laughs> I think that that is the very perfect distance for a pitcher to throw baseball. I agree. If I'm having a bad day and I'm throwing a little slow that day, I'm not going to be able to get in on that right-handed hitter. Yeah. If I'm having a great day, it doesn't matter. You know, so it's like the... It's like the right distance where there's a little bit of a threshold, but not much, you know. And yeah. Um, what? Yeah, I just can't think of any other better distance than that. Six feet six inches. And then two years later, um, pitcher was required to push off of the rubber pitcher's plate, as they call it. We got we just call it the rubber now. Yeah. Um. It, um and then. They had a rule exact exempting a batter from a time at bat on a sacrifice, which that means if you hit a sacrifice fly ball, it doesn't count as an at bat in the scoreboard. Interesting. And also in 1893, they rescinded a rule that we skipped over earlier. Oh, okay. You were allowed to have one side of your bat be flat, kind of like a cricket bat. And in 1883, they required that everybody's bat be round and holy of a hardwood like a maple or a pine. Yeah. Can you imagine swinging a bat that's like partially flat or half flat? Oh, dude, I'd hit 800. Yeah, I mean, like, but then try to make that aluminum. <laughs> because it's high school baseball, you know. No, that would never happen. No, never, no. <laughs> oh, man. So, 1894... Foul bunts were classified as strikes. Hmm. There you go. And now we're in 1895. This is the last, last big year in the 1800s of before the, the modern era. Right, right before the modern era. Infield infield fly rule was adopted. Your thoughts on the infield fly rule? I don't know. Let's let's phone up a Braves fan and see how they feel about it. <laughs> 2011. That was bad. Um, I think the influence fly rule is good. Um, there's certain situations where I was playing ball like, oh, I'm going to kick this and we're going to turn a double play out of it. And it, it, it's a little bit of a... There's a gray area still involved. I think it's a necessary, I hate to say it, evil, even though it's really not, you know, but... Yeah. Um, I also like in 1895 that if you fouled a ball off and the catcher called it, it became a strike. Yes. That, that's how it should be. That's also the year, correct me if I'm wrong, that the um, bats had to be a certain diameter. Two and three quarters inches. Two and three quarters inches. And yeah. We're going to make everything uniform, and for those of you at home, don't let your jaw hit the floor here. That bat was not supposed to be any longer than 42 inches. <laughs> I've never met anybody that swung anything longer than a 35. Yeah. 42 inches. 42 inches. That's oh, long. What kind of Paul Bunyan lumberjack a-holes did we have playing baseball back in the day between a 42-inch piece of lumber? I can think of, like, I mean, I can think of some Hall of Famers, but, like, I don't think, I don't know if they all will show us one 42 inches, like Bucky Ewing or somebody like that, maybe, or Roger Connor, who were, like, the home run hitters back then. In the, 
you know, 1800s Empire, if you want to call it that. All right, so now let's go to the modern era, 1901. We need to roll through these quick. These are some really some good ones. Yeah, I mean, you like, they pile up. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll pick. I mean, we'll go look through it. We won't call all of them, but we'll the ones that stand out that they're, they're, they're significant. I like 1901. The catcher has a squat underneath the hair the entire time. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. 1908, they were allowed to wear shin guards again. Yes. And I also have a problem in 1908. Pitchers were prohibited from soiling a baseball. If you throw me a white baseball as a pitcher, I'm immediately reaching down to the mound, getting some dirt, and rubbing it up. I am not throwing a hitter a white baseball. No, that's too easy. Especially in like a night game. It just stands out. Yeah, but they weren't playing night games in 1908. Well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Gives him better grip, man. Even in a day game, you can see it better. You can't make it, I mean, if it's just too white, it's just kind of slippery. Honestly, you have the new ball shine, and it's not going to... Yeah, you need that Mississippi River mode. Right, exactly. You know. What's his name? Uh, Lena Blackburn? Lena Blackburn, yes. Lena Blackburn's famous mud. It's see. required to be used by every major league team and minor league team to this day. Yeah. A nineteen oh eight the sack fly rule was adopted. Did we talk about that? Um we did not talk about it underneath the major league rules, so they must have made an amendment to it somehow. I guess they did. Oh no, we talked about a sacrifice not counting towards your batting average earlier. Now the sack fly. Yeah. So nineteen ten is an interesting one. The cork center was added to the official baseball. So they made it a little less dead in the dead ball era. And they called it, they had a name for it, they called it the jackrabbit ball. Because the way it, it, just, jumped. it just jumped when you hit it. And they did that for like a couple of years and then it went back to being dead until 1920. When the life ball era began. Um, 1917 ERA statistics and definitions were added to the rules. So here we go, 1920 is the big the big year for rule changes. All freak deliveries, including the spitball, were outlawed. That was the big. That was the big thing. Now, they great. Now, the major league baseball, the powers to be, they grandfathered 17 pitchers to use the spitball until the end of their careers because they argued. The pitchers argued that by outlawing spitball, you're affecting their career. So you got like guys like Hall of Famer Burley Grimes and Hall of Famer Stan Kovaleski. Like I made my living with that pitch. Yeah, that's by you doing this, I'm done. Right, and they're like, okay, you guys are some of the best pitchers in baseball. We will allow you 17 pitchers to continue to pitch the spitball until you retire. And Burley Grimes was the last spitball pitcher in 1934 when he retired. I wish they had done the same with um, spot relievers with this three at bat thing we're going to get to later. Yeah. With the new rules. Uh, yeah. Um, I like 1925. Pitcher was allowed to use rosin. That's a big one for me. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, the middle. Oh, I forgot one in 1920. Yeah. If a batter in the bottom of the ninth inning hit a home run, <clears throat> even with the man on base, that scored the winning run, he was given credit for the home run and his run scored. Right. And it took him to 1920 to do this. But then again, 1920s when Babe Ruth really took off as a hitter. So of course they're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to play your hand to the uh, guy that literally pays your 
Bills. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like 1931. I guess they got rid of the sack fly, and then they brought it back in 1931. This time with a man scoring after the catch only. And then defensive interference was changed from an offense solely by the catcher to one by a fielder as well. Okay. Um, oh, this is like 31. Regulations referring to a batter contacting his own ball were clarified as was the area of bases awarded a batter when a defensive player threw his glove at a batted or thrown ball or in the case of a spectator interference. I guess I don't know. I, I had to read that again. I don't know how to unpack that. How would you even like? <laughs> of course, I made this for baseball all next, so. I don't know. Let me find I can't find it again, but there was a period in time. I'm backtracking bad right now. Yeah. Sorry to the listeners, I'm backtracking. During the rounders period, until 1887, batters could call for either a high or a low pitch. And the strike zone was either from your waist to your knees or from your knees to your tits. Oh, wow. And you had to call where you wanted it high or low. I meant to bring that up earlier. I apologize for now, but that is one of the wildest things ever. Give me the meatballs up on my chest all day long. (laughs) I swear, man. Those are the days. Let's see here. Um, I guess speeding us up to newer times in 68, the spitball rule was rewritten and tightened up because of a lot of pitchers... Um, for doing something that made their pitches float a little more. Yeah. And they cut five inches off a pitcher's mound, which is originally at 19 inches, I think was the rule. 15 inches. It was 15 inches in 1904, and they made it, they took five on, five inches off and made it 10, which I think is where we're at now. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> 69, the year after Benny McLean won 30 games, last person to do it. The strike, uh, the pitcher's mound was dropped five inches. That's what I was just talking about. They yeah. made it from uh, 15 to 10. Yeah. And I and think that's where it's at now. And that changed because 68, you could make the argument that was the year of the pitcher. Because, like I said, didn't claim 131 games for the Detroit Tigers, which led helped them lead to the World Series championship that year. Because I know you're going to ask me who won the World Series that year, and I just, I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to leave that up to everybody else. Yeah, they'll ask me, yeah. Everybody who knows knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Bob Gibson, one point one two ERA. And then in the American League, Carl Yastrzemski won the batting championship with a three oh one batting average. He was the only person in the American League to hit three hundred that year. So they changed the rules, and by then, Force Frick was out and. Well, actually, it was William Eckert but in between Frick and Kuhn. Both Eckert and, and Frick were out, and Bully Kuhn was in, was in the commissioner now in 69. He's like, yeah, we're going to we change something up, man. we got to bring back some offense, you know? <laughs> and, of course, you know, but it didn't really affect Danny McClain that much. He still won 25 games that year. We'll sign him again, but still, 
they, something had to be done to bring up some offense. And that's the thing. All these rule changes are to manipulate the game into what people want to see, and I understand that. Whether or not I agree with them all or not, I get what they're trying to do. Yeah. And also in 1969, the save rule was added to the official rules for the first time. So I guess saves were counted, or beginning to count. And they made the strike zone smaller that year, too. Yep. So From the, the pits to the knees. Pits to the knees. Um, 71, all major league players had to wear a uniform. A helmet. Helmets, yeah. That was, you used to see the guys just wearing their hats. Like, yeah, and of course, in the, old, in the primitive helmets, like you could wear your hat under your helmet because there was no ear flaps. Mm -hmm. So it was just that, but, you know. Of course, 73, that was the big year that the American League started the designated hitter rule. That was the first year they did it. Ron Bloomberg for the New York Yankees was the first ever designated hitter in Major League Baseball history. And everybody except for the National League, everybody except for the National League, unless they're playing in uh, uh, interleague games, uses the a designated rule, a designated hitter. Mm -hmm. So well, now they're gonna try and put us on it, put it on us. But and supposedly that was Charlie Finley's idea, the owner of the A's, and our fellow Alabamian from Birmingham tried to do that. But anyway, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, he was born. Well, he was born in Inslee when Inslee was still a city, but it's now Birmingham. Yeah, it's a town now. Yeah. So '74, the save rule was rewritten, but. I'm not sure what they what they changed it. Um, minimal standards for individual championships for outlined. I guess number like matters titles and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, a, a number of games. You got to hit this amount of games to be registered as a hits leader. Yeah. Well, I read somewhere in 1914, Ty Cobb won his one of many bag titles, and he only played in 98 games that year. However, he had enough at-bats in those 98 games to register for the title. So he won the title that year and only played 98 games. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. <laughs> so 1974, no, 1975, the save rule was changed again. But the save rule was rewritten. It was rewritten again in 74, and then it changed again in 75. But again, from what Baseball Online says, it doesn't say what was changed. We'll have to look that up ourselves. And then 75, the ball was permitted to be covered with cowhide because of the shortage of horses. So I, know, I always thought of baseball was cowhide leather, like a real baseball, not the crap we play with in the middle league or whatever that was just synthetic and all that nonsense. Yeah. I always thought it was just leather. I didn't realize it was ever horse leather. Yeah. <clears throat> suspension for, th it's also 75, suspension for three days became mandatory if batter were to hit a ball, a fair ball with a filled doctor or flat service bat. So the cork bats. Right? Sam Sosa. Sam Sosa. I don't think he meant to, but that's just opinion. Right. You know, but that's, that's that sort of thing. And then you skip all the way to 2008. Major League Baseball adds limited instant replay to be in effect for all games starting Friday, August 29th of that year. 
And what it means by limited, they mean either home run calls or fair or foul, fair or foul calls. Do you want me to be opinionated, or we want to just tell it how it is? Go for it. You tell, this, this is our platform. You tell. I am okay with instant replay. I'm fine with it, too. But I think it is overdone. To an extent, yeah. If you use your replays right, you can get three in a game. Yeah. You should get one if you're wrong. You lose it if you're right. You keep it. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't matter what innings. None of that. Okay. They had a, they have a, at least at the beginning they had segment innings. I'm not sure if it's changed. I don't think it has. We say they call football and, and you know timeouts and replays. You know if you call a timeout to replay, you have to, to challenge mm-hmm. a call. And if you if the call stands and it doesn't go your way, then you lose that timeout. You know. I think football has overdone it as well. But. Yeah. But again, this, this isn't a football podcast, so right. So we're, we're we're going back to baseball. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but we we we're, we're mostly Alabama, so we like football too. And so. then they're gonna follow up with 2016, which is the slide rule. Slides on potential double plays will require that base runners must make a bona fide attempt to reach and remain on base. So basically, don't try to take the the fielder out. I guess. How we grew up when we grew up playing ball together. I'm here to blow you up if you're trying to turn to a play. Yeah. I'm coming at your legs. That's how we were taught to slide. Yeah, I remember one... As one, long as you can touch the base. I remember one Babe Ruth game I played out in Monrovia, and, like, it was a... You know, I was on first, and I was sliding to second. It was a, you know, a double play. They turned up play on my team, and they ended up play. And I kind of, like... I guess I took the second baseman shortstop out, or I kind of nudged him or, like, slid into him. And then I, at the game, the inning was over, I got up and I was walking to my dugout and the uh, opposing coach like kind of looked at me and said, hey, since I'm along the lines of, hey, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have like slid to my player. But and then I was kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. And then we went back and there, nothing else happened. But it was just kind of odd that he felt that way. And my well, coach was like, that's, that's stupid, you shouldn't have that. At the time we were playing ball at that age level, like, that's how we were taught to play the game. Right. You play hard, you slide into the you slide into second base hard. As long as you can reach the base. Yeah. You're good. Right, you know. I mean just go hard and play hard and that's that's how you do it. Don't be don't be soft about it. You just slide slide into the base. Alright, so I guess this all leads us to the last couple years. Yeah. Last five years of this of this game and the rule changes. Which I guess we could start with the time clock on the pitchers. Yeah. When did that come into effect? Was it like 2019? Yeah, it was sooner than that. Um, at least in the minor league levels. Yeah. It's well, a rule that doesn't get used. You get what? 28? 20, 20, 20, 25, 28 seconds. 25, 28 seconds between pitches? If I'm pitching and I got 28, 20, 25, 28 seconds between my pitches, right. something's not right. I mean, Because I was always a tempo guy myself, yeah. personally. but. Manfred, Rob Manfred is obsessed with trying to shorten the game, which I agree there are times that you should shorten it, but as the game's progressing, you have television, radio, doing stuff, there's going to be advertisements, there's going to be all this, it's going to stretch games out to three hours or four hours, you know, but... My viewpoint is that Commissioner Manfred wants to shorten the game time without losing ad revenue. Right. That's we can speed up in between innings. Yeah, I mean, just don't throw as much uh, uh, warmer pitches. But then again, you have I mean, like cut out the in between promotions 
which everybody loves the hot, you know, the, the Bronworth races and all that stuff. Oh, Philly Fanatic gets people going. Philly Fanatic gets people going, and they're fun to do, and they're fun to be a part of and witness. But that's, you know, if you want to do that, just shorten, try to shorten that or like shorten the ads to like, this, this is unreachable, but like one ad a in between innings. You throw your pitches, like warm up pitches, like, I don't know, 10, 90, do one ad and then be like, okay, let's go. Let's get back to the action. But, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> They're not going to listen, in my opinion. All right, and then we're back with the uh, 2020 rule changes, which the big one everybody talked about is going to be the use of the designated hitter, even in National League parks. Like, and I'm a baseball traditionalist, so I don't know about you, Matt. I enjoy the pitcher having to hit. For some reason, I always enjoyed watching Randy Johnson struggle. Yeah. You know, like, you're going to mow us down, but you can't hit it. So at least we have something back against you. And there are some pitchers who are great hitters. Like, was it Kershaw? Kershaw's Kershaw? decent. Kershaw's decent, um, yeah. Remember Carlos Zambrano? Yes, absolutely. That dude could hit. He could hit. He was a head case too, though. But, but he could hit. Different he, story. Yeah, you know, Walter John historically Walter Johnson, baseball Hall of Famer, he could hit. Uh, Wes Farrell pitched for the Indians in the thirties. He has the record for the pitcher with most home runs in a career of like thirty eight, I think. You know, there are some pitchers who are good hitters, but that's kind of a rarity, honestly. But um, who, I feel like there's another pitcher who's great at hitting like recently, like this season. I'm trying to think because I've been seeing, you know, on, on MLB's Facebook, Instagram page, like highlights. And there's like one pitcher. It, it, it may have been Kershaw, but like somebody recently who's just really good at hitting. Scherzer was always decent. Scherzer's good. Yeah, Scherzer's good at hitting. Something gets me going about a pitcher. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have to be a 400 hitter because you know you're not saying happens to a pitcher. But give me a pitcher that hits 180. That's my dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they're, they're not concerned about hitting, they're concerned about pitching, you know. And that's how you can tell, like, my big thing playing ball in college and stuff was pitchers are athletes, too. Yeah. Because we didn't, we didn't, everybody's like, oh, you're not athletes, I'll just throw. So I noticed, at least in the Braves games that I've watched this year, the Braves have sometimes used Max Freed as, like, a pinch hitter. And he's a pitcher. Like, I guess on his off days, he's pinch hitting, which, and, like, Brian Snicker, what are you doing? But That's like we mentioned back in the day. Tony LaRusso would do that with his pitchers. Yeah. If I needed a bunt put down, I'm going to pull this guy. I'm going to stick this guy in and put a bunt in. Yeah. Because pools can't bunt. You know, that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's really fascinating. Yeah. You know? It's exciting when you see a pitcher do well and hit. When you're not expecting to hit. It gets me going. Right. Now, of course, you don't see that in the American League because they have the DH. But National League... You know, it's exciting to see. And then I guess the other 2020 rule that I have a point of contention about is the extra innings rule. Where if you go extra innings, you start with the man on second base. That reminds me of playing travel league baseball. Yeah, (laughs) really. Like, I understood it in travel league baseball because you have, you know, you're playing the first game of the morning, you're going extra innings. Who's to know if you're not going an extra full game? And so I get that because you have another ten games to fit on that field that day. Right. You know, there's more. There's multiple teams waiting to get on that field. But you're right. big leaguers, man. Right. You're in your stadium. Ain't nobody waiting on you. 
Right, and especially 2020 when nobody was there. You know, they didn't have fans until, like, the playoffs. The handicaps your pitcher, like, imagine coming in as, like, a closer or something, doing, right. they you shut the door, and then you got to come in and pitch another one. No outs, man on second. Run them over, hit a fly ball, the game's over. Right, and they affect their affects their career stats. Yes. You know, it could affect their hall, depending on how good the pitcher is, of course, it could affect their hall of fame eligibility. He could be like, you know, he could go from the writers considering him to the veterans committee considering him. You know what I'm saying? So, that I agree with Patrick. I just don't think it's fair to the pitcher. I, that's a rule changer. And I get what they're doing, but at the same time, this isn't travel ball. This isn't like high school or anything it's else. not a little league tournament. It's, it's not little league. It's not Babe Ruth. Not, it's not anything. This is major. You're grown men making millions of dollars a year to play this game. Um, you know, once you're established, rookie contract, 500, what's minimum, 560? Cool, yeah. y'all are set. You know? just a thousand dollars, right? A year, yeah. yeah. A just, year. Just, I mean, just, just to play a game. I mean, Patrick and I would kill to make five hundred sixty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> I'd kill to make five sixty combined, bro. Yeah. Um, and I do the one. The one thing I will give Major League Baseball is the guy that starts on second base does not hurt your ERA. They they said for statistical purposes he is to be calculated as an error. Okay. But that still that can affect your win loss. Right. Once again, it can it can change you from a writers to a veterans committee in the heartbeat. The next rule on the same docket, which I know these are a lot of test rules in twenty twenty COVID, but a lot of them have stuck, like the extra innings rule and the one I'm about to mention, the three batter minimum rule, you eliminated an entire class of reliever. You know, that guy, I played this role one year in college. I'm a righty, I came in for a righty-righty matchup out of the bullpen a lot this year, if it wasn't a safe situation. You know, and you eliminated that guy out of baseball, because I would come in to face one batter and go semi-scout. Right, so that's, um, yeah. That, that can affect their career, so they have to change to... There's a lot of guys that are no longer playing in America and are playing overseas now. Because of that rule. Because of that rule. They like, play in Japan or wherever. Yeah. I got a buddy of mine uh, I play with in Columbus. Um, because of the pandemic and a lot of pitcher cut downs and stuff like that. Yeah. And my man's playing in Korea. And he was in AAA for the Angels. And Korea had fans last year. He's making more money there than he was going to here. I don't blame him. Go where the money is. And the Koreans, he, he's probably thriving in Korea. But he worked his entire life toward that, and that rule affected him. So he said, forget it. I'm going to Korea. You know, and who knows? Maybe he'll Well, he got cut. So he's like, I'm going where somebody's going to let me play ball. Right. And Korea said, come on over. And he mm -hmm. said, sounds good. I'll learn Korean to play baseball. Why not? <laughs> And then obviously we have the health and safety rules for COVID, which are still a thing. Um, expanded space and yeah, and that's fine. I mean, you know, I was disappointed because of the COVID stuff. We couldn't have the Rickwood Classic this year because they just weren't the friends of Rickwood just weren't going to make the the COVID uh, requirements to make everything safe and. Even that, if they did, you know, limiting the fans, it probably wouldn't make any money. 
It wouldn't parents. be worth doing. It just wouldn't be worth doing. So hopefully next year the they'll have the Ripple Classic again. But yeah, that'd be a, a good road trip for us to make. Yeah, I'd like to go to that. I've been at least four times. I've had a blast at all four. I've been three Hall of Famers too. But again, that's another story for another time. We're talking about rules now. So I'm not sure. Um, we're getting some minor league rules real quick. And all the AAA, the bases are slightly larger and less slippery. Which, why are you changing that? Um, if it's not the same in the major leagues, then why change it in the minors? In AA, all four infielders have to have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt. Hmm. Except for the... That doesn't make sense. You can't play... You either. can't You can't hold the base man on first, or... That makes no sense to me. I mean, are they trying to, like... Oh, so you have to be on the dirt, so the second baseman can't play the... They're trying to get rid of the shift. Okay, that's what they're doing. Um, so, like, the second baseman, like... If I got a big hitter up, and I was playing second base, I'd be two or three steps from the grass, and by the time I'd creep in, I'd be on the back edge of the grass. Yeah. I mean, what's wrong? I mean, I, you know, they're getting rid of the table even shift, man. <laughs> In high A ball, you have to step off of the rubber to attempt a pickoff. Step off the rubber? To attempt a pickoff. To attempt a pickoff. So we're just going to let runners run. That just sounds like a balk waiting to happen. And in a low A ball, two pickoffs per plate appearance. If I got a guy that's no, I'm, I, I know he's going to steal. Like, I'm going to use two before I throw my first pitch to the plate. Yeah, for sure. And then I'm going to throw a couple pitches. I'm going to try and catch him sleeping because he thinks I done forgot about him. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get it either. I guess they just got they just want to keep them. Low A West is a 15 second pitch clock. I bet they're playing hour and a half baseball games. That'd be nice. I bet they are. Low A Southeast is doing the electronic strike zones that they tried. What they tried that in what the mid late 2000s? I remember. Early that. 2010s. Yeah, and. Uh, I think when you by doing that you eliminate a portion of the game, the human error, and I think that's an important part of baseball. Right. Yeah. So dumb. And also, wouldn't that affect the umpire's job too, or to at least the home plate umpire, or does that not do that? Um, I guess he's there to call plays to the plate, but yeah, or you know, he's got a buzzer in his hand. It's like ball strike, and he's wow. Okay. And then, like, how are they, if the Bears can argue, who they can argue with? <laughs> yeah, I expects them. Oh, man. So the AAA base rule I mentioned earlier, they're expanding each side of it from being a 15-inch square to an 18-inch square. Okay. Which I guess that really doesn't affect the game that much. But, yeah, but, you know. Unless you hit a ball from base in it. That's different. And then I guess we need to wrap it up with a thing we've been seeing, all been seeing a lot on television lately. <laughs> Watching our baseball games. <laughs> yeah. You got relievers getting checked for foreign substances. Relievers. Not starters. Well, or not relievers. I mean, position. I mean, I didn't mean to say relievers. Let me say position players that pitch have gotten checked for foreign substances. Throwing 55 miles an hour just trying to throw strikes. Like, it's a little bit egregious. Yeah, they're checking everybody. And then, like, Max Scherzer and uh, Joe uh, Joe Girardi during that Nats-Phillies game this year, where he's just like, yeah, I think the third time, I think it was the third time they checked him, and he's just like, you know, just seriously. You've had a couple of guys under their pants and pull them down on their knees, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. 
I wonder who did that. That was fun. I can't remember his name. Did um, Sturgeon do that too? I feel like. I know he at least ended the belt. Yeah, it did. You know, it did Gerard get ejected? It was hilarious. <laughs> I promise you that the hitters would prefer for the pitchers to have a little bit of something on them. Right. You can't throw. They, they shouldn't have to throw meatballs up there. Right. You gotta have something like be, you know, curve slider, what have you, or just if you could discreetly, you know, discreetly do it, maybe some pine tar or something. <laughs> oh man, well, it's just. I don't know. These rules are something else. I'm about to drop an opinion on you about this rule. Yeah. We had McGuire Sosa and all of that, Bonds in our childhood. Yeah. And then since then, it's been a pitcher-dominated game. For sure. But baseball knows that chicks, not just chicks, everybody loves the long ball. Yeah. So that's what they're trying to bring back. They're trying to bring back the 90s, late 90s. And but it's like, you know, if you're going to bring back the 90s, you might as well bring back steroids. I'm joking, of course, but... <laughs> I've made this joke with a lot of people before. I wouldn't be mad if there was a baseball league where you had to use steroids. I wouldn't be mad either. Uh, we'll let Ken, we'll let Jose Canseco be the commission. Yeah. And he'd probably <laughs> inject everybody with steroids, too. He'd be the first person to do it. But what are your thoughts on the substance thing? I get what they're doing. I think it's stupid. Well, I get rules have always been in place against it. Right. And that's, you know, but you're making it hard for the pitcher to hone his craft. You're, you know, like you said, he's got to have, like we both said, he's got to have an edge, you know, that makes him stand out. You can't just throw fastball after fastball. He's not Nolan Ryan. He's not Walter Johnson. He, the pitcher is not, you know, we're not talking about Nolan Ryan and Walter Johnson. We're talking about you got to have edge. You got to throw something. You got to make the. You got to fool the batter in some way and not expect them to. You know, just lob it up there and you know, just throw a meatball and watching home runs hit. You know, you got to do something. One hundred percent. The game's not what it was twenty years ago, where you could throw ninety-five and just buzz everybody down. Now, if you throw ninety-five, you're. Yeah, I mean, it's not unique. You know, scouts are not going to think that highly of you if you're just throwing 95 all the time without any, without a diverse repertoire of pitches that you can use to fool the batter and get outs and strike outs. Right? I think Garrett, not Garrett Cole, what's his name? Uh, oh, what's his name? I can think of Zach Greenke. He, has, he can throw like nine pitches. It's disgusting. Yeah. You know, if you're in like, I, I guess, it, I mean, the, the chicks have Ricky, but like, you know, <laughs> you gotta have something to, to, to throw. You gotta have something, you gotta have an edge to you. You can't just throw fastballs or just change ups. You gotta have an edge, right? And I'm not saying bring back the spitball. I'd be cool to see a spitball. Gaylord Perry supposedly threw a spitball. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cool to be able to see some of these uh, Asian pitchers bring the, uh, what is it, the gyro ball that uh, Dice K was supposed to be able to throw? Yes. But he had to dock the ball up to throw it, so it was out well, you know? Yeah, and, and then like, or Satchel Page, in the, when he came up in 48, they banned the Ephus pitch because it was still, the, maybe it wasn't the Ephus pitch. It was the, the four day creeper, or maybe it was the Ephus pitch. It, a very slow ball that he threw, 
they major league baseball banned it because it's like you can't. They're like it's just too slow for the batter, you know. I don't know. I've got to. I got to tell you about our men's league after we get done with this about okay. Brogdon. But yeah, but something that relates. <laughs> I think to sum it up, both Patrick and I disagree with the sticky stuff rules. Well, I just think the rules the last three or four years in baseball in general aren't benefiting the game. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to grow the game. Right. But they're alienating traditionalists like me and yourself. Yeah, it's making us not want to watch major league baseball and watch college football or something else. You know, like we talked about earlier, I've probably, I've probably only watched four or five games this year. The Braves game. Like, I catch highlights. Yeah, I mean, you I know? watch highlights too. I mean, I love watching Quick, quick Bitch because we don't have baseball tonight anymore on ESPN. So I watch Quick Bitch on the MLB Network. Get it together, ESPN, you blew that. Yeah, ESPN is just crazy. ESPN is crazy. Anyway, that's another story for another time. Uh, but it's just, you know, it can hurt the game of baseball if you constantly change the rules. Now, of course, they've been doing this since 1846, or 1845, but some rules, maybe we don't need to change. Well, shoot, they've been doing it since 1840s. We just read down a list that might have had 150 rule changes in it Yeah. since then, and they've done, what, 10 in the last five years? Right, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. And Manfred, I mean, Manfred was just, I mean, he had ideas, he has ideas, Maybe more so than Bud Selig, but, you know, it's just, maybe we just need to cool it, Manfred. You know, he's not going to listen to this, he doesn't care about our opinion, but, you know, maybe we just cool it. You're going to see him at the induction, so maybe you can pipe this into his ear hole. I will see him at the induction. I saw him there in 2019. I'll see him again this year for sure, unless they decide to cancel it or postpone until next year. He said it's next month, right? Yeah, it's September 8th, which is a Wednesday. You should be good. I should be fine. I'm going to put off work for it. I'm going to be looking for you on television. I'll be out in the crowd. I'll be giving flyers to people and stuff like that. That's basically what you do when you volunteer or set up to the chairs and stuff like that. It's not going to be like when I was there as an intern and setting up the stage, which that was, you know, <laughs> it's hard to top that when you're an intern in the Hall of Fame, do that for next weekend. But, you know, I'm just going to be standing out there, you know, probably in sunburn, handing out flyers to people. We might just have to have to do a, a whole episode about your time and the, the induction. Yeah, I mean, we could do that like after I come back. I mean, I think I think everybody. I mean, I tell I've told lots of people this, but I'm sure it'd be nice to have it on record about my experiences as an intern because it, it does apply to baseball history. You know, we're at the Hall of Fame. Baseball history is all over the place at the Hall of Fame. That's where baseball history goes to live and reside after it's done being a thing. Right. You know. Baseball history matters at the baseball thing, and it should be. Preserving, I think preserving history is one of its, uh, it's part of the So. I can tell you right now, let's see here. I got a little goodie Matt might appreciate. Ooh. Let's see here. Well, King Griffey Jr. Step past that. Here we go. Preserving history, honoring excellence, Connecting generations. That's their that's their uh, mission statement in three sentences. I knew it was one of them. And that was a patch on on the King Griffey uniform. That yeah, that's uh, my King Griffey Mariners jersey. Right, and that was you know I guess that came out. I guess that was from 2016 when we got inducted. Yep. But yeah, so in the future, you know, one of the future episodes, we'll talk about my time in the Hall of Fame and 
talk about how the all things evolved from 1939 onwards. Yeah, uh, like the and we talk about we could talk about like the voting and, and the, and the, the, the history of the Hall of Fame could be a good episode, right? I mean, we, which I just have to sit here and listen to you on that one. But yeah, it's just so. Uh, there's a lot to talk about Paul. And for our listeners, I do have an email address set up where they can send us their ideas on what they want to hear. It is baseballhis101 at gmail.com. That's awesome. Baseballhis101 at gmail.com. Um, so I'm, if anybody wants to send in, that listens, if wants to send in ideas for what they want to hear us talk about, they can send that there. But I think they pretty much yelled it for today. We're coming up on an hour and 20 minutes, so... A little longer than last time, but still, you know. Only about five minutes. You know. Right. We still, I think the goal is trying to get at least an hour 15. Yeah, I think that's a good hour. spot. Yeah. I think we did better this time than last time. It was a little more fluid. Yeah. I mean, we do we do what we were going to talk about, and we, you know, went from there. So. All right. But for all of y'all that listen, thank y'all so much. Um, make sure you like our podcast and download our podcast and. I'm Pat, over here with Matthew, and we appreciate y'all listening. Um, We'll see y'all here next time with who knows what, but we'll have something good. Oh, yeah. Can't wait.